Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. It's a great pleasure to welcome you back uh, to the FEPS Talks. And today we have very, very, very special treat. Anna Paula Zakarias, the State Secretary for Europe, the face, the leader of the EU Portuguese presidency is with us. Really welcome to FEPS. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here with you. Perhaps it's a fantastic organization. It is really very good to be here and uh, and to discuss with you the uh, Portuguese presidency of the Council of the European Union and uh, what are we achieving, uh, what do we need to do until the end of this semester and the main events that uh, we are organizing. It sounds very packed as an agenda. And, uh, you know, before this conversation, indeed, we've been discussing that there are so many issues that we would like to ask you. But let me start just from the beginning. In fact, uh, you know, for the last two decades, uh, Portugal has gotten this name as the presidency that gets all the challenges in front and gets to solve it. To give an example, you've given the Europe-Lisbon Treaty when the situation was so difficult. So before we get to discuss the issues, what's your secret? How is it possible that this is always the Portuguese presidency that gets to get things done? Well, let's hope that we can do it this time too. I think there are a couple of uh, interesting elements. Number one, I think this issue of the level of trust that uh, Portugal and Portuguese citizens have on the EU. You know, the the last polls say that 78% of the Portuguese feel they trust the European Union. So I think there is all in all this idea that the European Union is very relevant for us for our country. And the future of the union is important uh, uh, for us as as a country, as as a member state of the union. The other element is probably our openness uh, in terms of uh, openness to the world, openness to the opinions of others, listening to others. We are somehow uh, bridge builders in the European context, trying to find uh, consensus, trying to find ways of solving the problems. And this is an important uh, characteristic. When you have the presidency, you have to be an honest broker. And uh, and being an honest broker means exactly this capacity to listen Listen to everybody, even those that are not in agreement with you. I would say even particularly those that are not in agreement with you. If you are able to listen to all and then bring all together, I think this this is the way we normally do things. And uh, probably what you were saying, the secret of the Portuguese presidencies. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And uh, uh, indeed, that's a lesson also of, uh, you know, being humble in the approach of Europe. And uh, let me connect that with another very particular highlight of your presidency, namely the Conference on the Future of Europe. We are looking forward and it has been so long that people have been coining and articulating different hopes. Uh, Now the joint declaration is effectively a big step forward, but there are still many questions that are being unsolved. How exactly is it going to work? How the citizens are going to be able to take ownership of the process? You yourself, uh, being, as said, the leader of the Portuguese uh, presidency of the EU, the person effectively in charge uh, of the moment when it is being launched, what would you consider in this conversation to be the particular benchmarks to define the success? of Future of Europe conference? I think here we need to be, as as you've mentioned, we need to be humble. We need to to be ambitious and at the same time pragmatic because we are open 
a new way. We are open a door to discuss in a profound, structured way with European citizens. And uh, if we open this door, we need to bring people into a new room because you open a door to bring people into another area of debate. And to do this, we need to be prepared to answer to the citizens. And this is not an easy thing. We need to make sure that uh, we have, for instance, this great digital platform where now we have many thousands of citizens already participating, hundreds of events that have been registered along this uh, last three weeks. We will have the European citizens panels that are going to be put together and, and functioning during the second semester of uh, 2021. And we will have the plenary of the conference and all this will bring people together to discuss on the future of Europe. And when we open this door, it's like when we start discussing with someone about food. You have to open up to foods that they don't like, that you don't like, that others may like in a different way. But at the same time, there has to be a rule. We are talking about food. We're not talking about shoes. So we have to be careful in the way we lead this debate. It has to be an, an informed debate. The citizens have to have the possibility of listening to experts and discuss on the different policies of the union, about climate, about the digital area, about uh, elements of the economy, uh, job creation, youth programs, health, the, the fighting COVID-19 pandemic. So it's a huge range of themes that we are open up to people to discuss with their elected representatives. So it's a new way of bringing together representative democracy complemented by this deliberative process of engagement with the citizens. And we need at the end of this process, not just listen, but to be able to bring a good feedback mechanism, telling to the citizens what you told us, here it is, this is what comes out of your conclusions, here it is a new policy, here it is a new legislative proposal, here it is something new. So we have to engage, as I say, in an ambitious form, in a transparent form, at the same time in a pragmatic way, and above all, in a humble way, to say we have to listen, to the ones that elect the politicians. And this means transparency and open and inclusive dialogue and the structure, the participatory uh, democratic debate. I think that that's uh, indeed a crucial point because a lot has been said about the place of citizens and organized civil society in the process to discuss the future of Europe. Um, but also a lot has been said about feedback. And I think uh, what uh, you've just outlined is uh, the uh, show of how representative democracy can be reinvigorated, how we can build trust and get engaged in the different conversation. Um, you've also touched upon, uh, you know, the ambitions. And of course, the Conference on the Future of Europe is uh, expected to deliver the day after, but it's still about the very long-term horizon. If I look at the beautiful logo of the Portuguese presidency that is just behind you, uh, it symbolizes very much that, a hope for improvement of living and working conditions, but also a long-term commitment uh, when it comes to two important priorities, uh, digital and uh, green deal. Allow me to ask a bit of a political question in here, uh, because of course Europe is very much about compromises, but those two particular portfolios are 
very close and uh, very uh, much uh, catered by the social democrats. Does it help to establish uh, the primacy of progressive politics, uh, having social democrats uh, responsible for this particular portfolios as well? I think it is fundamental because it, it's the conjunction of this uh, double transition that we have to face to get into the future. So it's the green and digital transition, but at the same time, This can only be done if we bring people into this equation. And so for us, it is this double transition, but also with social Europe, because the double transition, it is fundamental in terms of innovation, in terms of job creation, in terms of, uh, of the building the economy of the future, more sustainable, uh, more resilient. But at the same time, this also brings a certain fear into people in the sense of I going to lose my job because my factory is going to close. The car that I drive, is it going to be obsolete uh, in, a, in a very short time? Can I still do all these uh, trips by plane? What will happen uh, to my job? in the future? What will happen to the education of my kids? Do I need to get new skills? Do I need to do reskilling for my uh, future job? What about my pensions? What will happen? So I think we need to bring a trust to the citizens, uh, telling them, yes, it is going to be a transitional process, but we need to do it together. And we need to think about people. We need to put people in the center of this debate. It's not just about figures. It's not about growth. It's about sustainable growth, a fair growth, and the possibility of people to be really at the center of what we're doing for the future. The economy post-COVID has to be a different one. We have to engage in a much bigger sustainability model on a circular economy, on, on a different modes of production. And uh, we also need to bring in all the innovation that uh, the new uh, digital platforms, that uh, all the uh, innovation that this digital uh, dimension brings uh, into our lives. And we have to compact this with social Europe that brings in jobs, that brings in skills, and that brings in reduction of the inequalities, uh, bringing people, more people out of poverty and bringing equality between men and women. I think that that's uh, an excellent introduction to the question that I simply can't help myself, but I have to ask you because there are two big dates this week. It's the day of Europe, uh, and we've already touched upon the conference on the future of Europe, but it's also the weekend of the social summit. So I think the whole Europe uh, is looking at what you described as paving the way from Gutenberg to Porto. So if anything, all the roads lead to Porto this weekend. There is a lot of expectation. And also you've mentioned the social Europe and the bringing people to trust again, to be able to open up and uh, to be able to really see the future inside of the European Union. So lots of expectations, European pillar of social rights, gender equality, education, Uh, welfare policies. What do you think should absolutely be achieved this weekend in Porto for the social summit to be the success that we are all hoping that to be? Okay, so the, the, the important political narrative that we have here is that uh, 2017, we had Gothenburg. So we have the proclamation of the European pillar of social rights. 20 principles that have guided us so far in all that is the European Union economic model, the social dimension of this economic model. And uh, now we go to Porto, And we go from principles into action. We want to see these principles 
being transformed into concrete steps. And uh, what are we going to do? We will follow two important elements. First, there was a resolution from the European Parliament about just transitions that was very important. And then we had the presentation by the European Commission of the action plan to implement the European pillar of social rights. So with these two relevant instruments, now we can push for action. And this action is going to be done and by the institutions, the European institutions, Parliament, Commission and Council, but also by the member states themselves. And we hope that in the meeting of the heads of state and government on the 8th of May, the heads of state and government will commit to this action plan, to this idea that to get out of the crisis and to lead the way into the future, we need to have a social Europe. And we need to stick to three very important targets. These targets are, number one, we need to have at least 78% of the European population aged between 20 and 64 employed by 2030. The second big target is that 60% of the population that is employed have at least one training per year until uh, 2030. And finally, that we are able to take out uh, of the poverty risk 15 million people, of which 5 million children. So these are the three main targets to which they, all member states will commit. And they will commit according to their systems, according to their ways of doing. So involving all the needed subsidiarity, all the needed flexibility. But more than this, we're doing another step. And the other step is we bring in the social partners. This cannot be done. Social Europe cannot be done just by governments, just by the European institutions. We have to bring in the social partners, the civil society organized. We, and, uh, and this is the beauty of this uh, Porto social compromise that we hope we can sign up, that the social partners, employees and employers can work together saying that they too commit to this three uh, main target, which is, it was never done. So it's not just the institutions, it's not just the governments, it's also the civil society and the social partners committing to these targets. This is the beauty of what we want to achieve in Oporto. And I hope that we can make it. And I hope that we can make it presentially um, in majority. It will be an hybrid event. But uh, we hope that people can uh, be brought together to really discuss and adopt these two declarations, a declaration by the heads of state and government and a declaration by the social partners. I have to say that the program uh, for the uh, Porto Summit looks absolutely impressive. And as you said, uh, the heads of states, uh, the civil society, the trade unions, the list of participants is amazing. And the deal would be so significant and so symbolic for the future of Europe. Uh, yet another big uh, uh, milestone because uh, your presidency has been ticking so many boxes. I mean, the fight for democracy, the fight for women's rights, the um, struggle and the new openings when it comes to the uh, global relations, uh, EU-Africa, EU-UK agreement that was adopted last year. The list is very, very long. So I have 
to just ask, as at the beginning, I was asking about the secret of the Portuguese presidency. Please allow me just for the very, very end to ask a following teasing question. When you will be handing over the proverbial keys of the European presidency to Slovenia, which is the next uh, country to take over, and imagining that there would be a situation like in many films that we see one American president leaving and leaving a handwritten note to the other, just if that doesn't invade the privacy of uh, political dealing, would you share with us what would be in the envelope? Should you be leaving that to the next presidency as a piece of advice and as the last final matter to be solved? Well, I would say that we have been working together with Slovenia and with Germany in a very, very intensive way, because now we have these TRIO programs. And the TRIO has set together a, a program for 18 months. So I would say that nowadays the presidencies are more work than glory, because, uh, we, you know, we take from one, we continue. The, it's like a marathon. Yeah? You, you need to continue running. We took from whatever uh, our German friends were, were able to do, and they did an incredible job in approving, for instance, all these uh, financial instruments the MFF, the, the budget for the union for the next seven years, and also the uh, next generation programs to face the crisis. And now we need to implement this. This was one of our major priorities, was also make sure that all these uh, financial instruments are on the ground and that the funds that are so needed for the economic recovery uh, reach the people, uh, reach the, the enterprises, reach the families as soon as possible. So we took that and we will continue. And now uh, to our uh, Slovenian friends, we sincerely hope that they will continue with this intense work for Europe because Europe is a very extraordinary project. It's a project of peace. It's a project of prosperity. It's a project that brings people together. We cannot lose this project in the sense that uh, we need to bring in the citizens in. We need to bring people to learn more about what we do at the union level. There are many dossiers that uh, we, will, uh, we will leave in the social domain. We sincerely hope that Slovenia will continue with them. Also on the domain of the rule of law, we hope that Slovenia will continue the work that we have done. We have had already a discussion in terms of the annual mechanism uh, for the rule of law, and we will have a big conference in Coimbra about the rule of law in all its different dimensions. Uh, rule of law and COVID-19, the state of emergency, what does it mean? Um, the rule of law and uh, elements of prosperity and the economy. The rule of law, how to communicate? How do we communicate rule of law with our citizens? And, uh, and uh, finally, this uh, big issue of the rule of law in the context of the Lisbon Treaty. And so we hope that also our friends from Slovenia will take this on board and, uh, and all other dossiers uh, in terms of uh, promoting equality, promoting uh, the fight uh, against discrimination and the economic dossiers and the vaccination processes. So Slovenia will indeed have the beginning of the new cycle the new cycle that gets us out of this uh, current crisis and that will lead us into a new moment of the union. As a matter of fact, that is what symbolizes uh, the, the symbol, the, our symbol is that it's a sun that gathers the 27 little dots. So it's a sign of unity. It's the unity of the 27 in a hopeful way, in a, in a sunny mood. <laughs> and. Uh, 
at the same time, some people look at that and uh, and they see like a, a helm. It could also be a helm of a boat that could take us in a new uh, direction. So I really wish our friends from Slovenia a good voyage in, in this process, uh, taking forward the negotiations in all the different fights, climate, digital, social, economic dimension. It's a continuity indeed. And, uh, and this is the beauty of the union, that we are so diverse and yet we keep united. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you for uh, being with us uh, today and uh, also for fighting uh, for hope uh, for us as uh, citizens, for the solidarity, for the just transition and social justice to be the way out of this crisis. I think it makes incredible difference, especially that we've just had the painful experience of how otherwise the crisis could have have been dealt and what that means for the dreams, opportunities and the future of the citizens. We wish you all the best of luck uh, for the especially upcoming weekend and still remaining weeks of the Portuguese uh, presidency that gets all of us so excited, not only in Brussels, but across the continent. Ana Paula Zacarias, State Secretary for Europe, the face of the European Portuguese presidency, has been with us. And if you, as much as I, would like to know more what she thinks about the course of Europe, do join our Call to Europe conference. She will be a keynote speaker there. So I can't wait. Thank you so much. It was such an Thank honor. Thank you, Anya. A pleasure to be with you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned. <laughs>